Happy day everybody, it's me Greg Dalmage, and you've got some more podcast news to listen to. As of this recording, wrapping up in a few days is Chinatown Detective Agency's crowdfunding campaign that Tina Ola covers in this week's uh, Crowdfunding Chronicles. So if you want to go check out this excellent looking little mystery novel uh, sort of adventure game, uh, give it a read. We bring it up a little bit on this episode, but Joe Padilla has been working on a Final Fantasy XIV focused feature called Man Must Own the World, Final Fantasy XIV, Guys from Belser and the Praetorium Speech, where he kind of analyzes what's going on inside the head of one of the biggest antagonists from A Realm Reborn. It's a great piece to dive into, and I definitely recommend you give it a read if you uh, haven't enjoyed any of Joe's work before. Now we go over to the reviews department, where we got a few things to cover as well. First one's kind of a big deal, Nathan brought it up on the last episode, but his Persona 5 Royal Review has finally dropped with uh, great aplomb as he uh, speaks quite highly of it. It got editor's choice from him and it's shaping up to be a really great revisit to Persona 5. In kind of the same vein, um, Joe Chop gave editor's choice to the Shin Megami Tensei Liberation DX2 mobile RPG that has hit iOS and Android lately. It's, uh, it's good to hear that a... Uh, a gotcha RPG has held up so well, and if you uh, got some room on your phone, probably go check that out. Upon completing Persona 5 Royal, it's only natural Nathan wanted to jump into something lighter, right? No, not at all. Instead, he uh, has been previewing Sakura Wars, and you can go see how Sega's latest RPG is shaping up for us. And finally, we close things out with uh, a few um, slightly delayed posts from the video review team. First of all, a little more timely, the Final Fantasy VII Remake video review is up, so if you want to see how that game is shaping up alongside Orlando's review, please go check out our video, give us a like, and subscribe and everything else on YouTube. As well, we went back and revisited Little Town Hero that Nathan reviewed for us, just to again give you a taste of what that looks like. So uh, yeah, go support our videos on YouTube. And that's it. That's enough me talking. Except, you know, for the next hour and a half of the episode, but whatever, who's counting? On to episode 187. everybody out there how is it going i always find when i like do my big whole hey everybody it comes in really hot so i'm sorry if your ears bleed for like half a second whenever i start the episodes but here we are another episode of random encounter with myself greg delmage as your host we are at 187 now still far away from retro but you know whatevs i am joined by some stellar folks today as always you know him you probably love him if you don't you should probably get to know him better because he's pretty cool uh john o'logan over here on the mic oh thank you that's the nicest thing anyone said to me in weeks, because I haven't seen anyone in weeks. <laughs> right? I mean, you're you're living with your partner, but it's very easy to just kind of at the point be like, eh, you're there always, whatever. <laughs> I don't need to compliment <laughs> you anymore. You're not going anywhere. You can't. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, anyways, uh, I also have some other lovely folks who haven't been on the episodes for a while. Uh, Elena Higgs, how you doing over there? Hey, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Always lovely to be back on and be on with Jono for the first time, obviously. So, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Oh, that's I'm right. I'm super yeah. excited. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. 
then I'm glad to uh, bring a new team together. I uh, also have uh, another lovely folk returning uh, over here is Joe Padilla. Howdy. How's it going? It's going pretty well, Joe. Thank you for asking. But assuming you were asking me specifically, I'm not sure. No, I was just. Yeah, no, answer. It was it was a general out to out to everyone. <laughs> so you can email us at rpgfan at podcast dot com to give your response to "Hey, how's it going?" Mm-hmm. from Joe. <laughs> very specific. Very. Uh, I know that that's a load of questions. <laughs> get some, you'll you'll get some essays possibly. I'm I'm a fan of essays. <laughs> that is true, and you uh, you had a very in depth. Uh, well thought out one which actually i meant to ask now that we have you both on here actually before we get into things you had your your big feature kind of exploring the um i guess the how useless the struggle of yakuza is in the grand scheme of things yep yep the fut- the futility in it the futility oh thank you that is the word <laughs> i was after uh did you having gone through that whole series jano did you get around to joe's article or no yeah, I did. I thought it was great. Uh, and I, I, I agree with them. Um, I think the funniest thing is I on the uh, the Yakuza collection uh, video review, every single time I summarize the game, I always start it with um, the, the, the Tojo clan is in crisis because it always is. That's, the, that's every single game. Every game is the Tojo clan is in crisis and only Kiryu can save it. But like what? Uh, I mean, I guess you probably wrote more or less like what inspired that in there. But just at what point in the series... Did this um, feature start kind of percolating for you, Joe? Um, well, I've only played the I've only played Yakuza Kiwami, um, so I've only played like the. Oh, I thought you had done one of the other ones. Okay. Yeah, it was so it was just the the first one that um, I've played, and I'll be playing Yakuza Zero for um, for a thing later on. So I just I'm trying to kind of get into this rhythm of when I play when I play a game if I if I found it. Um, interesting in some sort of way or essay worthy to write something on it so I can kind of reflect and um, and kind of ease out of it more rather than just being like, well, that was fun. Okay, now on to the next thing. <laughs> right. I mean, that's why myself and Solosi podcast, so we have a stage, I guess, to do that on mm-hmm. and uh, bring folks like yourselves on to do that. But that's a nice way to kind of decompartmentalize the whole process and let your thoughts come out because yeah there's times where you just you just need to talk about it i mean some games you can just leave them but i think a lot of them especially stuff like the yakuza series where there is so much of it and sprawls you do want (laughs) to unpack those thoughts and based on uh joe's article jono does that kind of hold true do you find that futility does that ever get more important than just uh, you know the violent struggle for money not really (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love Yakuza, but it, it, I love Yakuza. I love the characters. I love, I love uh, everything about the series, really. But to be honest, it 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 kind of holds. It kind of holds to the original in terms of its plot. Uh, Kiryu doesn't really evolve as a character, to be completely honest. That's interesting. That I love him, but he doesn't really evolve as a character. He's still the same, same uh, granite-faced idiot by the Yakuza Six that he is in uh, Kiwame or Zero. And I mean, I don't know. You you could argue that. It- because then the first one is when he goes, uh, like he's quit, right? And then he gets roped back in to protect, like the the orphan kids he's looking at. No, or that, I th- is that which one's that? That's the third one. Sorry, that's the third one. My bad. And the fourth one and the fifth one actually. <laughs> okay. It's the so, I the mean, entirety of Yakuza just seems like Godfather Part Three, but with more orphans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
and probably mm. of better quality than Godfather Part Three. So, yeah. Yeah, and considerably more karaoke. <laughs> oh. Right, and then idols, and anyways, I was just curious. Uh, yeah, just to see how like that affected your thoughts on the game on the series since you have played it obviously more extensively, uh, Jono. Well, Joe, you've been churning out some really great thought-provoking articles lately. You also have the one on uh, the you just re- it just came out a few days ago from recording uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. Yes, yeah, I really uh, liked the the villain in the main. Pro- I guess mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd call him the main protagonist, but one of the uh, an- or main antagonist, one of the antagonists in. Um, Final Fantasy XIV 2.0. I wrote about him and how uh, there's a lot of shades of Benito Mussolini and uh, and kind of Roman emperors in him. Um, so I found that kind of, I found some really interesting parallels there. So It's something I find doesn't often get talked about in reviews and in game journalism in general is, yeah, those comparisons to where possible inspirations came from for a lot of this stuff. So it's usually, yeah, it comes down to the fans who go more in depth in fan sites and finding out like, ah, oh, where did this summon come from? Where did this name come from for this leader? And, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's a, I like that you're looking into that. That's really great. Thank you. Uh, but uh, that brings us to a good point to segue because uh, there's another big Square Enix gem that just came out. Uh, and I feel like folks may have heard of it, may have played it, may want to hear more about it since uh, Alana Heggs here was the one who um, uh, reviewed it for us at the website. Final Fantasy Seven R. We've been <laughs> waiting for that remake for so Royal. <laughs> We've been waiting for that game for ages, and it's here. It came out on uh, April tenth. Tenth, um, thank you. It came out on April tenth, and uh, Alana, you were you got your you got it on a right on embargo, I think, right? Yeah, we got it out right in time. Yeah, you were, we did. You plowed through that. <laughs> yeah, um, probably. Uh, this might be no exaggeration, I don't think. Uh, probably the biggest game I'll ever review, I think. Especially for RPG fan. It was daunting, <laughs> it was daunting as hell. And you did it. I mean, yeah. those, uh, I feel like you've, you, it was a committed like 20 hour day job kind of thing to get through that. I don't know. How long was that playthrough for you? Uh, so I clocked in at under 35 hours with most side quests done. Um, I hadn't really touched hard mode or anything, um, but it's longer than you think. And some mm-hmm. chapters vary from like half an hour to 45 minutes to a good four hours, I would say, the longest chapter, a uh, uh, rough guess. So, yeah. And it's bananas that they basically took what was once like a roughly five hour portion of a game and have been extended out to be roughly half of the original game. Because I feel like my Final Fantasy VII playthrough might have been on the shorter side, came in at around 60 hours. Wow, that's, um, I, I would say remember. that an average playthrough for seven is about 35 to 40 hours most. I think that's me just doing lots of extra stuff. <laughs> you probably did nights of the round and everything, yeah. But if you just, uh, yeah, yeah, that's I think maybe with doing like full completionist, yeah. So yeah, considering the fact that there you go, that you could also pretty much get through the whole game and the time it's taking you to get through remake, which is just the opening moments. Yeah. What are we in for with this whole trilogy? Oh my gosh. <sighs> I know. Well, however much there's going to be, really. Or however much, yeah, not necessarily trilogy. We don't know. <laughs> God, yeah. We don't know. And I'll say by f- having finished the game, and I don't know if Joe has finished it as well, because I know that you're playing it as well. Um, yes. We don't really know what's going to happen. Even after beating it, I could not say what's going to happen. And that's where I'll leave the ending 
kind of discussion for now. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do our best not to spoil for folks, but obviously there will be some stuff touched on. Joe, how far into it are you? I am on, I am like halfway through the second to last chapter. So you're I've on, got... You're on the long one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, so I'm probably only like a few hours out. I imagine I'll finish it, you know, blurry-eyed tonight. <laughs> but um, I've got about 40 hours on my game clock. And I wasn't like that hyped about it. I, I was, I think I was sufficiently excited and such, but as it was coming closer, I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll pick it up at, at some point, um, and play through it. Um, but I got the chance to play it and wow, I am pretty thrilled with it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, um, super good. I'm so glad to yeah. hear that. Because obviously you, last year you went through your big Final Fantasy series journey, <laughs> didn't you? So I think, I'm assuming that was your first time playing Final Fantasy VII last year as well. So oh, you yeah. Yeah. yeah, you haven't necessarily got like the nostalgia that myself and probably a few other people have, which I think is really here, interesting. Here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so it's really cool to see that you've come in with that perspective and gone, oh, do you know what? This is great. And you can appreciate, I, I don't know, what did you think of the original specifically? I really like the original. Um, mm. Yeah, I've basically, I hadn't, I hadn't played more than like five hours of a Final Fantasy game up until february 2019 and then from february 2019 to january of this year i finished six seven tactics eight nine ten wow. <laughs> uh twelve uh that's and, so wonderful and tactics as well in there gosh yeah <laughs> tactics was the one cool. i put the most hours into of course so yeah that makes sense I can believe oh, that. yeah yeah God, it's so good um but um yeah seven was definitely in like in like the top three of the ones that I played, um, I really liked oh. it. But you know, I I like that game a lot. Um, but I didn't really feel too much affection for those characters. I liked them. Yeah. Um, but this has this game has endeared me so much more to them. Um, I think that's one of the strengths of the remake, personally, and it's something I tried to highlight really well. Is that I think that Seven Remake does the cast so much justice like even mm -hmm. when you have some problems with some of them um like barrett's kind of affectionate chatter about his daughter the chat he has with tifa there's like one section where tifa's asking barrett about something and barrett quotes something and tifa's like oh that's from one of marlene's books isn't it and he goes yep and then he quotes it again and talks about mm -hmm. how much marlene loves that book and there's so much like Sometimes RPGs can get a lot of criticism for the additional banter that characters can have between sections or in battle and things, but Seven Remake does it so well, and they're you know we love these characters because we've grown up with them, but the remake is like it just it just dials everything up to ten, and they're they're perfect almost. I would say they're so good. Yeah. The line that really got me in your review was uh, that the characters were exactly how you imagined them when you were a kid. Exactly, yeah. And that's exactly how I felt. Like, Cloud has been... I know Cloud is a bit of the target for this because of the Advent Children transformation that he had where he was a bit <laughs> more, you know. Um, but, yeah, like, he was this cocky little... You know, he'd have chatbacks. He would just be ready to smear you or drag you whenever he wanted. And that got came across here. But also, like... He's really conflicted, and you get that really well. Um, I don't think that's maybe as well portrayed in the original, but like they bring it out really well here. So, yeah, I think that was important. That it is the whole game really is 
how you imagined it as a kid. You know, remember in 1997 when those FMV cutscenes were like the absolute best thing in the world? You probably imagined right. you imagined them like they are now, like in remake. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And you go back, it's like not quite the same. I mean, they hold up okay, but yeah, it's it's not as amazing as you think. The jump. That's the trick about nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. the jump between seven and eight is quite scary, actually. Like the mm-hmm. quality in FMV sequences oh, and yeah. graphics is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like wow, and then you realize then that seven hasn't aged quite as gracefully. But uh, do you think uh, like getting more of this conflict from Cloud, getting more characterization? Because I assume they're they've added some content. I haven't been trying to spoil myself too much, so I haven't really looked at a lot of playthrough and such. So I don't know how much to the story has been added. I've seen a few moments where, oh, that's directly from there. Those are direct quotes from the original script that I can recall. But do you find, um, I guess my question is, do you find that they added it to get more character and that's what it is? Or is it better localization? Because that was one of the things that Seven definitely had against it. And <laughs> oh, back yeah. in the day, it was some really rough localization. Yeah. They did the best they could. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's a fledgling <laughs> time. I mean, look at Secret of Mana and things like that, how rough those were. Or... They definitely improved. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I would say it's definitely a bit of both. I think it is a really good localization. Um, but I think there's just the wiggle room now, isn't there? Like Midgar is a five-hour section where you mostly control four characters and they've now got the time to shine. And there's even room for all of these other characters like Biggs, Wedge and Jesse who benefit the most out of all of the old characters from this additional screen time. Um, like we grow attached to them because we know what they do. And like in the original, we know what they do and we know we sympathize with avalanche but here you actually get moments where you're talking to jesse on her own or you're talking to biggs on his own or you're talking to wedge wedge lives in a house and there's about 10 or 20 cats outside of it and he's so he loves them they are (laughs) he's a cat dad he's a cat dad wedge is a cat dad and crazy cat dad and wedge if if anyone's watched breaking bad wedge is voiced by badger from breaking bad yes so it's it is perfect it is the perfect <laughs> casting, um, and and over, oh, that's why it sounded familiar. Okay, and overall, like basically all the voice acting I've thought was has been pretty great. Um, you know, usually, you know, usually in these games stuff, I'll notice some voice acting that's pretty that kind of takes me out of the immersion in some way because it's um, just noticeably bad. Yeah. Like, you know, noticeably lacking in terms of voice direction or something. Cause I, you know, a lot of these voice actors are quite talented, but the direction kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. Um, the dialogue is, the dialogue is snappy. The localization and writing is good. Their interactions are wonderful. Like when you first, when you first meet Aerith, um, her, her interactions with Cloud are lovely. I was, mm-hmm. I was, so charmed by um i was so charmed by this entire cast um they're really great in this which helena spoke to that yeah a lot of the main cast definitely hold up well i guess a bit more of the tertiary characters that you found were a bit overacted or uh didn't quite land well um i don't know whether this is my again nostalgia brain talking but out of the most of the main characters, I think Sephiroth's voice doesn't fit. And I yes. really, I really, really struggled with it. And I can't decide mm-hmm. whether it's, unfortunately, George Newburn, who was the previous voice actor for Sephiroth, right up until Dissidia NT, um, he really got Sephiroth and he really embodied it. And I don't like making the comparison because I think all the other actors do better. In fact, Tifa's and Cloud's in particular, I think, are so good and have just really nailed the character. But 
I can't decide with the new voice actor for Sephiroth whether it's the voice or whether it's the fact that he's talking in Kingdom Hearts riddles for about three quarters of the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> so I just yes. can't make up my mind. And yeah, there's a couple. And I think going to voice direction quickly, I find Barrett's tiny bit problematic. Um, yes. I, yeah, it's like the same as the original. Like Barrett is written like a, you know, a famous black character who everybody knows and it's right. kind of run and with it, it here was, yeah and advent children definitely ran with it and it, it was it bow billing uh it was bow billing so yeah it was yeah and it was the same in the game too right yeah um well in the new in the remake or in the remake yes because it was him and advent children oh uh, it's different voice actor all the main cast of different voice actors uh, yeah, the, none of the originals have been. Reused. Oh, even Cloud, because I find the guy sounded very similar. Yeah, I can't remember the name grab. off the top of my head, but Tifa's voice actress um, is in Glow, the um, wrestling. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Brit Brit Baron is that Brit Baron? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Which is a good change. I mean, uh, yeah, I agree with your assessment that she sounds great. Not to knock on um, uh, Re- uh, Rachel. Rachel Lee Cook. Yeah. Rachel Lee Cook. She did fine, but uh, you know, it's just. Uh, it's also better script, I think, too. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a combination of everything. Like, it's been 23 years, and I think the industry knows these characters so well that they know what to do with them and where to push them, maybe now. I, it's just a thought, maybe. Right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Joe, you were going to say? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I agree I agree with Alana's assessment on Barrett, where, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, because I would have liked to have seen... Um, I don't know if anyone's seen Tim Rogers' series on the the original localist or the original uh, Japanese version of Final Fantasy VII, and how Barrett is kind of presented in this more like traditional sort of stoic samurai sort of way. Um, yeah. And I would have liked to see that more, but I think for uh, for American audiences, like they they associate Barrett with this sort of Mister T character and yeah. like. And it's someone who is always pitying the fool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, I get why they kept that, but I, um, from like a marketing standpoint and from, you know, I'm sure that there would have been some sort of fan outrage about it, but like the fans are going to get angry about anything as we saw last year with the whole, like why is Tifa wearing a sports bra thing? Oh, God. <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> not to bring that back up again, but yeah, I, I agree that I would have liked Barrett to be, um, would have liked for Barrett to not be portrayed in that way, but I think with what they've done, um, he's he's still a very endearing, enjoyable character. Um, still, still pretty well written, and um, yeah, it's that's kind of the the main thing. But yeah, also agree on Sephiroth. It's <laughs> I I think it is the voice acting. I think the direction is just kind of off. Um, another, another, not to get too deep into the weeds of the voice acting, but I really like that, um, President Shinra is voiced by James Horan, who, um, was the voice of Skullface in Metal Gear Solid (laughs) (laughs) 5, which he is, he's markedly better in this game, which is a blessing because in Metal Gear Solid 5, he is so bad that it's very enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, James Horan, yeah. Yeah. That actor, wow, he did a bad job. That's weird, because he's usually pretty solid. Yeah. That's so funny. It was, I think it was more so just James Horan in a uh, in a Hideo Kojima game, more than him, yeah. more than saying anything about his talent. 
it's just weird matching up. Like, he didn't know what exactly the context of his lines were in that game, which is pretty messed up. Um, God, so, that's weird. Yeah, it's... It, where was the director, Jeepers? Who, who knows? Who knows what, what was going on in the Kojima first? But this is not a Kojima podcast. I apologize. Um, no, this is a Yakuza podcast. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh. Got it. Yakuza encounter. Yakuza, Yakuza encounter. Um, in, in terms of other stuff in this game, this game is gorgeous. When it wants to be, it is just, there, it is just stunning. Um, and I've found very few, um, you know, frame rate drops and technical, um, hitches in terms of in combat. There's some bad texture pop in, in the slums and such, but when that game wants to be, and it usually does want to be, it's probably the most beautiful game I've seen. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty stunning, isn't it? Yeah. I think even with all the pop-ins and the texture issues that I spotted, like, there was nothing I loved more than walking around every area and seeing it go from pre-rendered backgrounds to what we've got now is remarkable. Like, everywhere, you did get a sense of scale in the original Final Fantasy VII, but, like, in Remake, you really, really get a sense that the slums are alive. doubles al- down. Yeah, the slums are alive. Like, they're full of people getting together and chatting. And there is, um, I'm going to do a minor spoiler for a chapter. Uh, you do get to see the upper plate in one section. It's late at night. And there's a marked difference in, like, I mean, it's late anyway, but, like, it's a lot colder, quieter. Things are much neater and cleaner. And you definitely get this sense that, I don't know, like, the undercity, the underplate is where everything is alive. And... It's, it is the upper plates areas that are bad, so I think it does a really good job with that. But yeah, like just taking in everything, like it's it's incredible. Like I, the character models are stunning, and I'm astounded that there are no frame rate drops. Like I don't think I had a single frame rate drop, or even like a really noticeable one. And you get them in fighting games and everything, but not here apparently, which is pretty remarkable, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a feat, and. I mean, you could argue that the PS4 is in its twilight years now at this point with the 5 coming out. So they could have just maybe been trying to optimize it for 5 and then not had it be as strong on 4, so mm. it, on the PS4. So it's, it's yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's really impressive that they've pushed it so hard and still, yeah, it's remaining intact. Because, yeah, your gripes about graphical issues were pretty minor. Yeah, really. Um, I mean, I think at this point, even though I was hopeful for a patch, I feel like they'll wait until the inevitable PC release next year when the exclusivity deal runs out now. Mm. Mm, that's possible. I um, Yeah, I really liked your point about um, kind of the difference between the upper plate and then the slums in terms of like it being alive and such. It made me think of... Um, I was talking. I was talking with Mattia uh, earlier this morning, my aunt, and um, we were talking about like how you make solutions when you don't have a lot of money. And she said, "Good thing about growing up in poverty, you never forget how to make something out of nothing." Yeah. Um, which, which I was like, "Wow, that was profound." But um, I, I feel like the game really captures that so well because there's so much community and um, there's so much community and interconnectedness in the slums. And then when you go up to this upper plate it it is just like the suburbs it's yeah it's dis it's distanced it's isolating um in a way you know you feel the warmth in individual spaces um like the space you go into when you're 
um, when you're on the upper plate, but it's not, it's not as full of life as the slums are and full of, um, people mingling and, and interactions and such. And do you think this now new take on Final Fantasy VII and on Midgar specifically with a, a greater attention to, you know, the focus on community and the geopolitical, uh, climate of, you know, the environmental struggle and the little guy fighting against the big man. Do you feel that it's even more relevant now with just our general global political climate? Uh, or do you feel like they've been able to kind of like tap into it more and make this even more relevant with just some new takes on the dialogue and the world? Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, even the original is relevant now, I suppose, because of how environmental, yeah. Um, they really do run with it. And there's a few things that, there's one particular story thread that they add, um, which is, and people who've played the demo will know this, um, the reactor explosion at the very beginning of the game or the end of the demo, um, it's actually made worse by Shinra and you delu- and you see oh, yeah. them deliberately do it. Mm. And so the whole game runs with this essentially fake news storyline where Shinra are trying to make out that Avalanche are worse than they are and also in a conspiracy with another group. Um, I won't say who, um, just, uh, just in case. Um, but That's like, fair. yeah, they like just like ram it down that, you know, Avalanche are bad. It's not like, you know, you know, it's not the same as the original. Yeah, because there was there was hints that they were being painted as terrorists, but obviously they didn't go too far into it, but just a lighter tone to it. And so it's nice that they can give more into the manipulation they're trying to play. Yeah, I mean, Avalanche are terrorists, essentially. Um, there's never any doubt <laughs> they, about they are, that. But, yeah, but like, yeah. I know what you mean. They're trying to make it worse. Like, Shimmer is using it to their advantage, and they're doing it even more so now to push their yeah, own agenda exactly. in different ways. Yeah, They're trying to use them as like the, the focus as to, well, they're the reason why everything's so bad. Yeah. It's we're not murdering people and taking advantage of people. It's people like Avalanche, you know. But that's not Avalanche's goal. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think it's something that's I think it's something that's as relevant that it was 23 years ago as it is today. Like mm-hmm. in 1997 what were popular games at the time like GoldenEye and such. And so having having a game where you're your protagonists in the game and the people you're supposed to be most sympathetic towards are eco-terrorists in it. And I think that in, even in present day, when there are still games that come out like The Division 2 and things like that, um, having a sympathetic group of eco-terrorists and, um, and understanding their plight and the oppression that they endure and knowing that these are the heroes of your game. These are people who are not opposed to, um, who are not, you know, completely pacifists and such. Um, and mm-hmm. how exactly that plays in the world. And I think the game does a fantastic job of showing their struggle as, um, as you know, oppressed people under this massive corporation and of um, being portrayed as like essentially foreign agents, um, and just from you know personal personal experience and such of you know oh if you're if you're fighting for something better, if your um, methods are somewhat aggressive or something, well you're in league with foreign powers or you're being um, I can't tell you the number of times where people have told me that um, where like 
people have said that I'm being bought out by George Soros or, you know, some, or that, you know, I'm in Russia's, I'm in Russia's coffers or something. And it's like, and, and that's what, if you could funnel some of that money towards the site, that'd be terrific. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Just, just apply for a grant with me. I'll get you, I'll get you all the Soros and Putin money you need, apparently. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I really, I really felt for them. Um, when I saw that, when I saw that happening and what they were being accused of when they just were fighting for a better life for themselves and their communities. Right. And I don't think the originals is good at pushing that. Like you definitely feel sympathetic towards them, but I think again, because of the local, you know, baby's first localization back in 1997 or wherever. And I was <laughs> seven or eight years old when I first played it. Like a lot of this stuff went over my head and the more I've replayed the original and replaying and playing this, yeah, like, it's... I really get it as someone who does and fight for change and wants to make a difference. Seeing another group of fictional people do it is really eye-opening because they really, they really capture it, I think, now. And I think it's just the 23 years, as Joe said, it's, there's now it's, it's now as relevant as it always has been. But Remake does the best job of getting its purpose across and really working with what the original intention was and making it clearer. Definitely. It's interesting. I mean, the word terrorist is considerably more loaded now than it was in 1997. Right. Um, I remember I remember reading something about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the character of Kira was a terrorist, and they probably wouldn't have been able to do that after 2001. Um, yeah. You nowadays, if you want to put that kind of thing in, you need nuance. You need a more active uh, conversation about what these people are doing and the consequences of what they're doing and how they are demonized by uh, the people in power. Yeah, and that's exactly what this does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found that really great, and this would I think a lot of it would um, would fall flat on its face if its characters weren't so strong and they weren't so sympathetic. Um, and so it's just all over. It's, I think it's for the most part, the game's kind of a triumph. I think, and I mean, I'm still, I still haven't seen the ending and such, so I don't know what's what exactly that's going <laughs> to still be fall like. flat. Yeah, it could, it could absolutely, it could absolutely fall flat on its face. But uh, <laughs> I mean, judging from Atlanta's score, though, I don't think it will. But <laughs> no, probably, probably not. But the ending uh, did not affect what I said too much. But it's definitely going to rock the boat for a lot <laughs> of people, especially someone else on staff finished it yesterday, and I've been having extensive <laughs> conversations with them. They are not happy with how things have shaken <laughs> out. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> they are really unhappy with the ending, and they oh, are boy. the first. Yeah, I'm. I mean, again, it might come from their um, nostalgia for the original. I. You know, I think the thing is with Final Fantasy VII because at the time reviews dropped, a lot of people were like, "Oh, this is too high," or "Oh, this is too low," as they are with everything. But I think for Seven in particular, it is such an important game for so many people. Like for most people, it's probably their first RPG, and like for things like you know, it, it's such an important game in history that anything that is a hair out of line someone will either freak out or they'll be like, oh, I just accept that, it's fine. Everyone's going to have such a different reaction to the game because everybody has so many different personal attachments to it, whether it be in Midgar or be in the rest of the game beyond Midgar. So it's going to draw different reactions out of everybody and it's really interesting to see it play out. And 
I'm particularly interested in people who've played Seven more recently or people who've never played Seven, like, are going into mm. this cold. It will be extremely interesting to see. Which is, Joe's kind of in that vein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'm definitely very interested. I wouldn't worry because I th- I think it's handled better than some people are overreacting. But yeah, it's definitely going to rock. Could I ask... Could I ask, without spoiling it, because I've been desperately trying to avoid spoilers, I know something happens at the end of the game that is crazy, but I don't know what it is yet. But given the magnitude, the reaction to this change, would this will this change uh, alter the trajectory of the following games from the original Final Fantasy VII plot? Potentially. Ooh, that's a bold choice. Oh yes. Boy. Oh god. <laughs> we can speculate all we want and we will be doing a spoiler episode on the site so we're going to rip this whole thing apart and do Amazing. everything we can. <laughs> um yep. but and yeah. Myself, myself, Alana and the person on staff who is very upset about it, I think are all on that episode. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a really good one to listen to. Yeah. I so. might um since I just had my my birthday and I've had uh, I wasn't even thinking of this back when that it was going to be a thing. I was like, but I've been getting um, some birthday money. I was like, oh, maybe that'll go to Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> yeah. Because I was going to be probably not getting it into it until I started going back to work on the regular and such, but it might be a, might be a gift thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you have time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just stunned the fact that, like, 90s, even, even some of the slightly lower scores, I mean, this is a game that's 15 years in the making the fact that it is a triumph to this level is just a stunning achievement yeah i would say it's probably the best final fantasy game aside from 14 that we've had since i love 12 but most people would say 10 (laughs) so yeah i also love 12 so it's so good um yeah oh my gosh um it's the best final fantasy game we've had since at least 2006 i would say yeah there was a lot riding on this and a lot that they could have gotten wrong. Like, this could have very easily ended up, like, left alive. You know? It just could have mm. been like, oh, good, a return to this amazing series. And nope, it's terrible. <laughs> you know, from what I've seen from footage, it feels very much and looks very much like just they learned from the mistakes of Final Fantasy fifteen and implemented some of those better things into here. But it is funny watching, like, Cloud and, like, Tifa wander through the slums. And I'm like, oh, you got some Final Fantasy XV in this game. It's <laughs> like, they opened the bleakness, the, the dinginess, which fifteen did well. And it's, like, dingy environments and such. But it's definitely, I'm glad that it's it landed on its feet very well. For whatever fans may or may not agree with, the general journalistic community seems to be pretty on board and a good good chunk of the the fans yeah and a good chunk of the team as well yeah a good chunk of the fans love it and i'm really delighted to see people accepting the changes as well as they are like it's really nice to see the discussions around it and you brought up 15 and i think 13 (laughs) as well the game takes from both of those games and i think you know, it takes from 15's combat and polishes it. It adds the stagger system from 13. It kind of gets the balance between the linearity of 10 and 13 just right, I think, in the middle between the two. Um, it takes from a lot of those modern Final Fantasy games, and I feel like it takes the best parts of them and refines them. So it does really good with modern Final Fantasy. And it just, yeah, like I said, it's it's probably the best Final Fantasy we've had for years, not including 14, which is outstanding and deserves every bit of praise that it gets. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree with just, there's so many things in this game where 
it feels like it was something I saw in Final Fantasy XV and felt like it just did not articulate well mm-hmm. from the the combat. Like basically, there are three things I like about Final Fantasy XV: the chocobos, Ray Chase's <laughs> voice acting, and one really random uh, platforming dungeon that was made by one person. If oh, anyone's gold. played yeah. the Ru- the Ruins of Piteus, but yeah. Which is incredible. Love it so much. You're clearly not a fan of uh, noodle cups. Yeah. God. No, there, there are no noodle cups in this game that I know of. And yeah, it's... You know, we'll the, see what the DLC brings. Oh, yeah, no. it's all noodle cups in the, the DLC. But the... I mean, the, the combat, the summons, the... Um, the perform, Even the technical performance. Because, you know, they were trying to push for this uncapped frame rate with, with 15 that just did not work. In my opinion, um, so it's it's great, and we we haven't really even touched on the combat, but it's it's real good. It's some real good combat. It's super good, yeah. Like I love a good action RPG. Um, I hold it as high as I would Tales of Graces and Star Ocean Four, which I think the combat is really good, but the rest of the game is terrible. Um, but yeah, it's so good. I think favorite final fantasy combat system quite potentially yeah why not that's high praise too yeah because i thought uh did it change much from the demo um i mean you definitely get more skills so um you learn new so you know how cloud has braver um that is off the buster sword and then you pick up another sword which will have triple slash if you put that on if you keep using triple slash you'll learn that eventually and you can use those skills more and more oh, so you, you build so up kind of like final fantasy nines where like you pick up the skills yes. but once you've learned them then you permanently have them exactly that's exactly oh, dope it. yeah um and you can level up all your weapons at the same time which is really nice you don't have to equip them to do it and you can tell them to auto level which is oh, great. good yeah so it does some really nice things um the combat does evolve and i think the what helps is that most enemies are very different i mean mobs can be a bit annoying because they can swarm you but every group of enemies has a different weakness and every boss has a different weakness so you have to learn patterns and learn skills and make sure you're fully equipped with all elements and all materia and things as much as you can squeeze on and you just try stuff out and i think that's what i loved about it i like I liked, I grew with it. I, I grew with it, yeah. Like, it just kept getting better and better and better. And I think that the boss fights in this game are, I can't call a dud. Like, they're all extremely mm-hmm. good. So I think that's where the combat shines the most, personally. But I really liked to, um, I think it was in the, um, the weapon and armor skill stuff when I was looking at some of the footage. It very much reminds me of uh, Bugenhagen's... Uh, is that his name? Yes. No, Nanaki's dad. Uh, yeah, the, yes, Bugenhagen, the grandfather, yeah. yes. Yeah, the, the grandpa, his, uh, his like, solarium thing, whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. It looks very yes. much like that. And I was like, oh, they even injected that in there, even though we're nowhere near that part of the game. <laughs> yeah. But this feels very much like that exploring the cosmos yeah, kind I of like, scene. I love it. Yeah, I saw that. And it's also really similar to the Crystarium in FS13, the crystals that each character has to learn their skills off of. So, yeah, it was a cool visual nod, I thought. I was I was definitely skeptical of the of the user interface when I first uh, got hands on it because it reminded me of fifteen, yeah. and I was like, ooh, I really did not like that one. But it's it's pretty it's pretty intuitive um, and it's pretty stylish. I yeah, I liked I liked it quite a bit. It's not quite as stylish as say like twelves, you know, um, menu layout and and everything, but it's it's pretty good um, and it's pretty intuitive. 
I found it amazing when I was playing the demo just how much it uh, evoked the classic Final Fantasy uh, turn-based system without being mm-hmm. that system. It, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's got a really good balance between them. I haven't really tried a lot of classic mode. I know it's a little bit easier, but I think that this combat, like you can either set up macros or shortcuts and then, or you can select from menus. I did a bit of both because like for some moments I do need action to pause. Like I do need that second to breathe. And I love watching the characters go in slow motion as well. That was very cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous watching Tifa like jump up to attack a drake or something or fall down or something like that. I don't know. I just like silly things like that. But um, yeah, it was, it, it really balances the old and the new really well. It reminded me a little yeah. bit like Vats in Fallout games where the world just slows down. Yeah, yeah it's exactly mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah. In a good way, for sure. Uh, well, before we move on, since we've been talking uh, a lot about this, because there's a lot to unpack here, uh, I did want to... Well, you can't step away from Final Fantasy VII without addressing the soundtrack. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. It's, it's really good. <laughs> right. It really is, what it's I've heard from it. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Like, uh, Masashi Hamaltu is probably my favorite composer who worked at Square. And so the minute I knew he was working on it, I was like, okay, we're safe. Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's 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 one of my favorites of all time. Like I love the original seven soundtrack, thirteen yeah. soundtrack, which Umatsu is the one. Did great. Yeah, thirteen soundtrack, which is the one he predominantly worked on, um, is one of my favorites, and he brings every bit of energy from that into that into this. So, yeah, and it's 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 astounding. Like it's so good. I could rave about it all day. I will. I will die on the hill that Blinded by Light is the best Final Fantasy battle oh, theme. It's so good. <laughs> so I was really, I was really excited to see um, Hamazu working on it as well. And there's so many, you know, there's some tracks that just they they feel like greater fidelity versions of Seven's original soundtrack. There yeah. are some that feel like um, just complete reinventions in a in a sort of uh, like a ragtime style in some sort of way, kind of evoking the feel of the um, the sort of 40s and 50s inspired soundtrack of Fallout games. And then <laughs> there are some times where you just hear a motif from the seventh soundtrack in a completely different setting. And it's fan... Oh, it's... I've been... <laughs> I've, I've really have very little... I have very little... Uh, criticism of it um the it's it's pretty it's pretty flawless mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah yeah Lena, you had mentioned there was a few tracks that sometimes just could have used one less arrangement but overall yeah you didn't seem really too sour on it either yeah i'm yeah i need that's me being really nitpicky like i think Aerith's theme maybe has about 10 different arrangements or has quite <laughs> a few um it doesn't lessen the impact of that song because, you know, Aerith's theme is iconic and it's, for me, it's one of the most visceral soundtracks in the original game because of when it happens and what happens when it plays. Um, but yeah, it, I'm literally nitpicking there. It's me going like... Gotcha. Mm. You just had to do something. You had to say something. I just something. had to dig the knife <laughs> in a tiny bit. I just, yeah, no. <laughs> now, is there thing you can collect songs or something? Like, is it does it have like a, a music player kind of like 15 had where you get like an MP3 player that you can just change with the tracks? Pretty similar. So there's a side quest. If uh, It's kind of a side quest. It's a collectible thing. Uh, so you can buy like CDs across the game and they are essentially like 
Joe brought up jazz and ragtime versions that sound like 40s and 50s music. Oh, cool. You can put them into jukeboxes throughout the game and play them. And there's 31 of these CDs. Uh, most of them are like covers from the original game. Um, they're all very good. And then there's one that is the song from the Honeybee Inn. <laughs> yes. I just find it weird because I saw in some of the footage that we had that uh, you go up to like a vending machine that's like music and potions. And it's just like right. one music track. But it's, it's a very weird vending service. Yeah, there's some and, cool mods. And, we, and we've already been talking about this game for quite a while, so I, so I won't belabor the point. But suffice to say, Honey Bee Inn is really good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I was so happy with it. Like, if there was one bit I was more scared about um, than anything else, it was Honey Bee Inn because mm-hmm. it's aged poorly. And, you know, even at the time, I was uncomfortable with it. It's so good in the remake. Like it's it's very different, essentially. <laughs> I very would hope. different and so worth it. Yes, definitely. But it's and, really, um, really good. The gym sequence, is that a good time too? Yeah, I mean <laughs> some, some of this, I know some of you have been the going through a lot of pain with some of those side quests. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pull up side quest that like I I gave up on after about half hour maybe 45 minutes of trying to complete the hardest difficulty i feel like zach like broke his hand on it yeah, I <laughs> did. That's, oh my gosh i'm usually good for like 10 pull-ups so i don't know no i kid um that's <laughs> i'm glad they've expanded out yeah it's just nuts that they've put so much extra content and i'm glad it doesn't feel like it's too much padding i mean you said there was a bit of it that you know it just seems like it was just in there just to kind of pad it out but for the most part it seems like Again, it felt like you were nitpicking because if you had to to draw attention to a flaw, that would be one. I wouldn't yeah. say I was. I yeah. I mean, personally, I think the padding is the worst part of it. I think there are some. I think this is where my personal love of Final Fantasy VII comes in because I think there are some bits in the game that just do not work, and I don't like certain bits. And there are some things that they changed that I don't like. And but again, this is where people's personal opinion will wildly vary. Like I've spoken to people who love bits that I didn't like and who hate bits that I love. So yeah, some of the a good chunk of the some of the padding doesn't work. Like the chapter with Biggs, Wedge and Jesse does work. That is not padding. That is excellent character development. But there's some chapters that are like, Oh, here you go, you can just go back to the same place a second time and do something and you know, just mm. it didn't need to be there. Like why do I need to why do I need to do a dungeon twice? And the boss twice. The same boss. Twice. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I have no idea I've... what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I, I, found, I found the most uh, kind of egregious padding, and this is basically like my main criticism of the game, although it's not like it isn't that bad, but it's very noticeable that they, um, that the padding a lot of times isn't just like, oh, there's a two hour segment that didn't need to happen. It's slowing the game down by having yes. like clouds slowly moving through rubble or something mm-hmm. or having to slide past a wall that would be, you know, much slower than just running past it. So there's a lot of that where it where it feels like there's probably collectively a good couple of hours of the game that is just from you having to walk slower yeah. <laughs> and to move through just an area slower. Yeah, and so, and, like, it works cinematically and such, but it is also very noticeable that it's like, yeah, this feels quite padded, so. Yeah, it's the way of eliminating loading times, isn't it? It's an invisible load, Mm -hmm. basically. 
but it's but it's really not it's not a deal breaker by any stretch i don't think um, that's good and this is still a fantastic game oh yeah it sounds like it took everything from the original from the from the music to the the art design and just use that as a framework to create something to expand on it but it doesn't sound like it betrayed its origins which is lovely to hear yeah because that was definitely the biggest fear i think a lot of us had yeah i mean your money may vary by the end (laughs) (laughs) but i would say 90 percent of the game does not betray the origins of the original interesting I really hope that uh, Gact makes an appearance now at the very end. Oh, people keep saying this. <laughs> people bring this specific thing up. Crisis Core does get a brief mention. There is a character who gets name dropped, and I was very happy about it. And it's not, it's not Genesis, I'm afraid. It's <laughs> fine. It's all good. It's just very funny to, uh, if, if there's something so egregious that is setting off the ending, I was like, what else could it be? But anyways, <laughs> that's gonna- unfair. It's gonna be it's gonna be something from Advent Children. <laughs> it'll be it'll fight, just um, God. Yeah, it just ends with uh, Tifa going dilly dally shilly shally. Or, dilly at dally any rate, shilly shally. Hey, yeah. I, I would not be surpri- I would not be surprised if they if for the next couple of chapters if they really dug deep into Crisis Core and Advent Children for uh, plot points. Uh, like if they really just make this Final Fantasy Seven R encompassing all of the Final Fantasy uh, spin-offs in one way or another. I wouldn't be surprised because they got to get stories from somewhere. Yeah, I would love that. I would love a little bit, at least, definitely. You can if Peter Jackson can get away with it with the Hobbit series, then (laughs) making that into what it was, then I'm sure we can get away with it in Final Fantasy VII, when the (laughs) the whole rules for this whole game series has been anything goes. So. Mm -hmm. I can deal with some Crisis Core, but I don't want to be playing this game and have someone just screaming in my ear 50 times, Where's Mother? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Maybe we'll get like a corridor shooter moment with... Uh, oh, with no. uh, oh, God, with Dirge. Do not Vincent. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't mind Dirge's servers personally, but I get the grief with it. At any rate, um, Jono gave us a nice segue by bringing up uh, repetitive gameplay mechanics and dungeon uh, retreading. Uh, how's how's Bravely Default been going for you, Jono? Yeah, I uh, I played it solidly from the recording of the last episode. I finished it. I absolutely friggin' adore it. I love it. Um, so you weren't sour on like the big moment that we were trying to avoid spoiling for you during that episode, but like as anyone knows, if you don't spoilers, Bravely Default starts bringing you on through this kind of time loopy kind of mechanic where you start going through the game repetitively until you figure out, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I absolutely adored the mechanic. It's funny. I think this is the kind of thing that some people might like or might not like. I personally love the uh, narrative device of parallel universes. Um, It's one of my favorite science fiction concepts. So the fact that this game unexpectedly delved into that was no problem. Also, to be completely honest, I didn't find about 90% of each, I guess, cycle repetitive. Um, Because each time we discovered something new about the bosses that we were refighting, they were all stronger. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was just killing one with one hit. They were level appropriate. So there was still the challenge level there. And we would learn new character traits and new relationships between these various characters as we went through each cycle. The only thing that I found repetitive yeah. was the awakening of the crystals. That was it. Um, but all of the side quest material, all of the side quest uh, content was, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. 
I, I, I mean, it's a Final Fantasy game. It just is. I know it's Bravely <laughs> Default, but it's Final Fantasy. It has all oh, of the absolutely. conventions and the amount, the number of Final Fantasy V references in this game just made me laugh constantly. You have an right as you brought up, yeah. Yeah, you have a character with amnesia. You have a battle on a big bridge. Uh, you have the job system. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, but they're references. They're not direct callbacks. They're just like little no. moments that uh, evoke the feeling of these games. Um, it reminds you where the roots come from. I mean. Its predecessor that laid the groundwork was literally Final Fantasy for War Heroes of Light. So they weren't shy about it there, but they yeah wanted to kind of go off on their own thing with a new system. And I think that's the only thing that really sets it apart is just the battle system more than anything. Yeah, and the battle system I think is phenomenal. It's not active time; it's it's classic turn based. But by using the bravely, the brave and default uh, system, uh, they really make turn based into something very special. Uh, I actually it makes it more tactical there's a certain it, it, you, the fact that you can affect the ebb and flow and then take command of it in such a strong way is is really rewarding and something that you know would would have been really welcome even just in Final Fantasy when you were in the very first one because it otherwise feels very simple in its world building and its story it feels like a natural evolution of the classic turn-based uh, battle system like it's it's surprising to me that no one really uh, did that in the Final Fantasy before Bravely Default, and they've con- yeah. they've continued that and they developed it. I'm I'm currently playing Bravely Second, which I have many opinions on. Uh, and obviously, which we'll get to shortly. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I played uh, I played I reviewed Octopath Traveler, and I'll play the demo of uh, Bravely Default Two uh, after I finish Second. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels very much like Bravely Default. And uh, Joe, I think I know Lana hasn't played Bravely Default, but Joe, you played a bit of Bravely Default. And like, uh, like the combat, I would say is probably one of the the better parts of that whole thing. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's I think it's a really great turn based system. It was basically that like I I haven't really seen many turn based systems that I think are better or on par with that. Maybe maybe Final Fantasy X's. I really like that in terms of like a pure turn based system. But Bravely Default is pretty great. Yeah, and I mean, I my favorite part about Octopath Traveler was the battle system, um, and the fact that Bravely has a a slightly a slightly more primitive version of that battle system, and also, in my opinion, has exceptional characters, relationships, and uh, an overarching story, uh, just made this something really special for me specifically. It's been literally sitting on my shelf for about like four years now i bought it years ago and i haven't played it i I played like the first five minutes of it and i was like wow this seems great i don't have time um (laughs) but then you know quarantine and everything so i'm like well i have it now so i've been really hammering away at my backlog which is considerable but i've gotten through a large chunk of it in the last couple of months uh and i'm so glad that i i played this I, i had so much fun playing it it, it is a very fun experience. And again, a lot of that becomes is because of the combat aspect. The job system gives it so much flexibility. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, again, it's that next natural evolution of the Final Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy 5, arguably tactics job system. Like tactics definitely perfected so much of it. And this definitely takes on that to give you some more flexibility with how you want to build your characters while also still keeping it in check uh, but you can only assign certain ones based on the amount of po- uh, I forget the point that you you have a certain amount of points that you can kind of yeah yeah the abilities 
in this. Yeah, I think it is just straight up AB, AP points or whatever. It's and it's cool that you um, that they still limit you in because it's you, but you can still break the game regardless, even within those limits, as we discussed a bit last time too. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Did to you break. have a, a game breaking character by the end of it? Uh, yeah, I had two of them. I mean, once you get mime, what were they? Yeah. Uh, oh. Once you get mime, I had I had two pirates uh, doing quad damage physically with. Uh, so I would I would hit them up with, you know, one quad, and then I would have them mime their next turn. So I'd be getting. 9,999 every single hit. Um, Gross. (laughs) Which, yeah, which was great. But at the same time, at that point, it's like, okay, keep these two alive for as long as possible. And the other two are just support characters. Um, Which, you know, there's, there's strategy in that. I, I, the thing that I was really curious, not curious about, I found interesting was, I don't know if we were talking about it a bit uh, in the pre-show, but this Bravely Default kind of makes me think this is the game that the people who did Final Fantasy Dimensions wish Final Fantasy Dimensions was. Um, For for anyone who doesn't know, Final Fantasy Dimensions was a mobile RPG um, that used a classic Final Fantasy uh, graphic style. Well, it it used the graphic style from the remakes of Final Fantasy V and VI for iOS, but it still it still evoked that kind of thing, and it used the job system from V, and it, it it was very much like a sequel to five in terms of all of its mechanics. And I had a great time with it years and years ago. And I think the site gave it, I think uh, we gave it an 80 back then, way before my time. But this pushed the formula of Final Fantasy uh, forward in a way that that just didn't. Um, And that's a tricky line that retro RPGs or games that are trying to evoke retro RPGs uh, have to walk. They have to be able to push the formula forward, introduce new uh new uh mechanics while at the same time evoking memories of the old ones Um, and there's a lot of ways you can go about that you can go about creating a like using basically all of the assets from the old games and creating a a new story using old systems or you could push it forward uh like bravely default and, and, and like use some of the conventions of it but make it its own thing or, in the case of Final Fantasy VII Remake, you can take the original and use that as a foundation and then create a very, very modern game uh, using the components, like the music, the character designs, um, and build something completely new off it that's remarkably good. Um, I think all three I, approaches are legitimate, but I personally like the second. I personally like how Bravely Default did it. Admittedly, I haven't played seven yet, and once I do, I may fast change my mind. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I loved this game. One th- one of the things I found very interesting about it was how uh, Bravely Default and Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, you know, they're both offshoots of the same evolutionary. Uh, they're both they're both from Final Fantasy. They both come from Final Fantasy uh, classic turn based RPGs, right. and they've ended up in very very different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, go ahead, Joe. Oh, um, yeah, it's, I think that it's kind of like, um, Bravely Default seems, they do kind of have these two different ideologies to them in a way, where Bravely Default is this sort of, um, it's a parallel, more so than, more so than a reimagining, where, like, it's supposed to be, kind of like a companion piece to these older Final Fantasy games with these turn-based combat systems and such, and the characters and the crystals and everything. And then with Final Fantasy VII Remake, it's 
like trying to, um, it's like what you think your memories of the game are. Mm. Kind of like how Shovel Knights is a an articulation of that sort of nostalgia. But you know, there's more there's more sound channels and it there's an enhanced color palette, and so it's kind of looking at the past through rose-colored glasses in a way. Absolutely, and I mean, Octopath Traveler has that too, where it, Octopath Traveler looks like I remember Final Fantasy VI looking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, could you imagine if you'd gotten like a, a fun pre-order gift that was just like literally an accessory that was rose-colored glasses for your characters? <laughs> <laughs> they just call it what it is. <laughs> It'd be perfect. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting to see how like the evolution can go either way of paying homage through an alternate version or just directly doing the remake. I mean, we have the trials of mana one coming up soon too, and we can already see through the demo and stuff that that's a very faithful remake. Uh, just like seven. I mean, the, the demo doesn't really let us know if there's much more that they've evolved beyond the basics aside from the, the mechanics of the game. But yeah, you can, you can go either way. Here's a question. Just curious um, for everyone. Let's say that after Final Fantasy VII Remake, they decide that they're going to do a remake of Final Fantasy VI. So Final Fantasy VI Remake. Which Now, no, that would not be controversial at all, but which direction would you guys prefer it went? Would you prefer that Final Fantasy VI Remake go towards Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake in the sense that you're just, you know, you're using modern gaming conventions, you're making a modern game, or would you prefer that it pushed it more in the like make it look like Octopath Traveler, like use a lot of the same character designs, but give it like that sense of that sense of depth and everything. I know oh a lot of people when Octopath came out were straight up like, I now want FF6 in this. And, you know, that seems to be the natural thing for it to pay that direct homage to the, the Super Nintendo era. Mm. It's probably the best way to mm. go about it. But I also want to offer the argument that if we did it in this Final Fantasy VII remake engine, imagine what suplexing a train would look like. Right. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they they brought in the madhouse or whatever, so I mean, it, it can be done. It can absolutely be done. Oh, God, that is such a hard question, because I feel like even with a seven style remake for six, like, there's so much you can do with it. Like, much is made of six in that it manages to build up all of its 14 characters so well and they're all so good imagine what you could do in a remake of six with all of these characters like even umari would probably get a really good storyline <laughs> out of a remake um, it would be so much longer if it this would is what be. even is being getting what they're getting from this like everyone would have their own complete side chapter of like meanwhile i mean even as it is in the world of ruin afterwards where you're tracking everybody down going through their individual quests like you'd get so much more of that yeah i think so um but god i really struggle because seven is not one of my favorite final fantasies so i am okay with where they went with it but had you say like you say six and had someone suggested nine as well like i'm right in the middle of a dilemma because i'm immediately like no don't touch them don't do anything with them kind of thing like so they're perfect the way they are (laughs) they're not unfortunately but um yeah i I could see it going either way. I mean, I'd love to see, I'd, I'd love to see some kind of seven remake version of six because that would blow my mind. But yeah, I also would love Octopus because Octopus visuals are stunning, and I could eat that up all day, basically. I would say from like a 
I guess I'm trying to like kind of uh, I'm trying to think about like the different standpoints you could take from it from a business standpoint I guess if you know if Square Enix is just trying to kind of maximize profits I think they would probably get similar sales out of make out of whichever one they would do but they would more but it would be more profitable for them to do it in sort of an octopath traveler style and kind of, and just get a better localization or something like that from it um i mean i played the snes version of final fantasy 6 so it has kind of a it has kind of a rough translation um it's not the not the best uh it's 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 a woolsey, you know. It's a woolsey translation, so it so it has its uh, rough edges. It has its charms, uh, but it yeah, it has its charms, like having a character named Vix instead of Biggs. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Um, but I I probably would want it more in that sort of octopath style, and I would want them to be focusing, um, putting resources into new IPs in the sort of using kind of still working with unreal engine um because i think this engine is working wonders for them um but but it's also thrown it's also thrown off by how much i'm enjoying uh final fantasy 7 remake because i'm just thinking about like oh what would i do if i got to see you know uh cayenne or cyan uh in uh having like you know a cinematic take on his and his story, because I think his arc is just fantastic in yeah. Final Fantasy VI. So I'm I'm torn on that because I really would like to see that. At, um, well, yeah, and like the opera scene, or oh my god, yeah. with Sailor's alone on that island. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's funny, before we yeah. had the conversation about Seven, I was actually leaning towards Octopath Traveler, but after hearing you guys talk about Seven and thinking about like the idea of the music and the character design and the world design being foundational. I think I'd love to see a Final Fantasy VI remake in the style of Seven remake. I think it would be ridiculous. It would be so good. I'd just be scared, but then I guess that's because we love it so much. Yeah, I think I think I'd be I'd be as scared of the Final Fantasy VI remake as I as a lot of people were about the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, I would be as well. I think, but yeah, seeing that opera scene, and I think the Celeste bit would absolutely get me. Like, if they managed to capture the feel of that bit at the beginning of the World of Ruin mm-hmm. and expand on it and like build on her character, like I, I think I'd be flawed. Honestly, I would be. Just I wouldn't recover. The game. I, Just I would, <laughs> It's hard to do anyway. It's such a difficult scene anyway. That yeah, I, you know, if you nailed that feeling. 20, 26 years right. later. Yeah. The right now? acting yeah. in that scene would just uh, sell it beautifully. Uh-huh. What I mean, what if they remade Final Fantasy VIII but gave it a halfway decent story? That would be a oh. pretty. <laughs> <laughs> pew pew pew! Shots fired from a gun. <laughs> I uh, no. <laughs> but I am curious if after this, if they're just going to go back through the rest of the, the quote-unquote PlayStation trilogy and try and no. remaster eight and then nine i would be curious i'm, I'm with alana don't touch nine yeah don't Just touch nine make it touch. faster that's all you need to do yeah. Yeah. speed up make a it, tiny bit which they it, did <laughs> kind of yeah just keep fast. Keep fast forward <laughs> just make, have a better have a better port of it on on the console so it's not the yeah. mobile port and um actually have the backgrounds in full resolution along with the models 
and we're golden that game yeah. is pretty i i love that game so mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting what they will or won't take from the seven remake and decide if they're going to remake something else or if i mean i'm, I'm pretty certain after seven remakes done they're probably going to go up full on to uh 16 but probably i don't yeah. know if they're going to wait until the end of quote unquote the the series of final fantasy 7 or if they're going to do it in between at some point like it's just where the resources are i guess yeah and i guess the nostalgia is mostly for 6 and 7 those are the two that regularly pop up in people's like you know which one would you prefer 6 or 7 or things like that yeah. like it's never mm-hmm. it's never 7 and 9 or or 5 and 10 or something like that it's always 6 and 7 and poor 8's always left out in the cold Oh, I mean, eight's weird, but I love it, it in such be. strange ways. I know. Your review of it was great. <laughs> if it didn't take itself so seriously. Exactly. If it just uh, embraced the space stuff and just went absolutely nuts with it. I if its just... characters were actual characters. If its characters were actual characters, yes. I agree. <laughs> and not just shooty boy with a cowboy hat. <laughs> oh, gosh, Irving. <laughs> hit on everything. It should have been a bard. Yeah, but I mean, those are the those are the various types of remakes that we're think that I was thinking about. Uh, but there's another kind. There's another thing that's currently popular, which is create a brand new game, but do it create a brand new game today, but it's a throwback essentially. And Greg, aren't you playing something like that right now? Yeah, I picked up Pillars of Dust for a review. So that's coming from Retro Games, uh, which you know they they know what they're doing. Wow, that is on the nose. Exactly, (laughs) but it's spelled like French. So it's like retro and then like O-E-A-U-X. So it's retro games. Oh. And then their publisher is something classic games. So like they have they have a genre <laughs> that they're they're trying to capture. They have a mood. Um and it's really fun. It, it's it's really trying to capture I would say uh maybe less early Final Fantasy, more early Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior, depending on how or when you played it. But it feels very much like a SNES RPG um that's at the very beginning of the life cycle so it's like a hedge higher than a super nintendo uh than any regular nintendo one so they like a little bit more colors kind of like um what you were saying joe with um shovel knight that yeah the color palette is a little bit more enriched from what it is but i'd say aesthetically it's really trying to capture the the nintendo vibe but like they have some really cool boss monsters and other stuff like that that they've amped up combat's a bit more like dragon quest in terms of the, the display but they've done an interesting thing with their their battle flow that differentiates it from being that classic retro aspect. And it's, um, you know, you have your menu you go through and you you have you can do an attack or you can do uh, an ability and you have like four abilities you can assign out. They've also made it that you can kind of hotkey them so you can make the a bit faster if you want. You can assign them as like pre-assigned on your buttons on your controllers or whatever. So you don't even want to go through the menus. You can just tap R1 and then it'll do this fireball attack or whatever so that's kind of neat and you only have a party of two because you get like a you can go and recruit an ally and bring them in and you can swap them out so it doesn't have like this big expansive cast of characters they're trying to keep it pretty simple but you do have two main heroes and that's where it gets really interesting like it's it's very weird that it's trying to play up a lot of the retro stuff it's doing a lot of nods to it it's anachronistic though in its dialogue so that can kind of take you in a little bit, and I think that's part of how they're trying to break the fourth wall and call attention to what they're doing. I don't know, it's weird. Like, there's sometimes where it's a little too on the nose, and I'm just like, ah, just leave it. Let it just be what it is. And then the other times, it's actually, it suits. It's a very weird thing, because that's the thing I find, like, a lot of 
the very obvious retro nods do is uh, a lot of it, it happens in like uh, Cthulhu Saves the World and um, Breath of Death 7 over um, by those fellows. They want to get actronistic and break the fourth wall. So like they're trying to say like, we know we're doing an old thing and we're not taking it too seriously. <laughs> you know, they make it a good commentary I, of those games. Right. And sometimes that's fine, but it, sometimes you can go too far and it's just like, just let the game be what it is. Yeah, that's Seaboid's thing, though, isn't it, really? I think it, it works for them. But then you've got, like, this isn't an RPG, but it's tied to something um, that is going to be an RPG. I'm playing through The Messenger at the moment. And, right. um, I love it so and much. And that does a lot of that, where it pulls some really weird dialogue choices. And I'm a bit like, you don't need to go that far. Like, why are you being referential? You know, it's obviously pulling onto things like... There's a specific bit where they're like, oh, it's Joe Shinobi. And I'm like, yeah, I know this is the game you're, like, parodying and stuff, but... I'm not being parodying, but I'm not at the I'm not at the spoiler bit, so don't spoil what happens beyond something happens, doesn't it? It changes up the gameplay a little bit. <laughs> I don't um, know. But um, yes, yeah, um, but yeah, there are bits like that that I'm just like, mm, like you don't need to be so on the nose about it. Like and we can Greg was saying, Sea of Stars doesn't do that. <laughs> I don't think it will. It feels yeah. like a very di- it looks like a very different thing. Whereas, yeah, like you've got Z Boy Games who their specific thing is. And kind of like, I mean, Earthbound. Earthbound is a parody of Dragon Quest in 1995. And it did all of that really well. Yeah. So it's like... There's a fine balance you can ride. Yeah. You can either lean heavily into it. At least with Z-Boy, yeah, you know what you're getting. They've made it like this is... That's their... That's their goal is to draw that out. But yeah, there's I just find there's a lot of games where it's like you can I'd be fine taking this game seriously for what it is. But like when you start the game off, you get to choose between two characters. You have Prince Carlton or Greg with two G's. Um, <laughs> and it's very much like um, they're not shy about it either. Like, you know how most games you can go to a bookshelf and they'll say like, oh, you found a dirty magazine or oh, there's a bunch of books about the elements or whatever. Like it's very general stuff. This one has, again, very anachronistic versions of um or titles but also uh or kind of a retro take on it just to make it fit the medieval theme but like they'll have like the prince and the pauper which is like on the nose for basically what this is supposed to kind of seems to be gearing up to being Mm. um Mm -hmm. so like you're in this this world that is kind of more or less in ruin it seems for um for at least where pauper the pauper character who's greg where he lives he's a, a blacksmith's apprentice and lives in a tent and the most of the rest of the town is like the slums but then a ghost character kind of guy we don't really know yet kind of appears and is like you have a great destiny you are born of lin- of royal lineage go on a quest and find out and he's like okay sure you got nothing better to do i guess i'll go on this quest and so that's kind of where that starts off uh with his uh buddy um is it bobby i think it's your first like ally who joins him and then meanwhile, Carlton is a prince who grows up in a rich castle on an island that's kind of isolated from everything that affected this other continent. So it's actually still doing very well and flourishing. But his dad, uh, or his uncle, who is the king, has a, a you know, his classic wizard uh, advisor. is like, oh, in order to become to uh, the heir to the throne, you need to go and complete a quest. So go and figure out what happened to the mainland kind of thing is the loose kind of what's going on. And so these, they both go on their quirky little kind of quest with a bunch of random side things. There's a guy who really likes cheese. So there's a collectible cheese that you can find. It's apparently like this ancient heirloom cheese that you can collect and he'll unlock just little bonuses for you. So it's just a fun little unlock thing. Every, every chapter has challenges. 
um, where there's this bizarre character who kind of seems like he's aping on like your classic narrator, record keeper kind of thing, but he just kind of starts with everything being like, hey, for this chapter, you need to find this many secrets, this many um, nuggets. Nuggets are the, um, the currency in the game and this many orbs and orbs are these things that when you find them it's the only way to really increase your stats uh in uh, at a, a decent level because you kind there's no experience in this game it's weird hmm. you just kind of level oh. up um it just happens every once in a while like a, one of your stats will go up because you seem to have like an attack you seem to have like a an agility a special ability um kind of like a special power Okay, it's not like it's not random like saga random is it please I, tell I me it's don't like think so <laughs> i don't know i like i said it's, it's hard i haven't i'd have to do another playthrough to see if they yeah. are set out like do you think certain things level up or if it's based on what you're using i'm not sure and um and then you have your hit points and then you have your action points which lets you cast your spells specials whatever your abilities so your ap never increases through combat so, like, I've leveled up, and I've gotten, like, my special's gone up, my attack has gone up, my agility has gone up, and my HP has gone up. You can find, when you find these orbs, um, they will also let you, sometimes, some of them let you choose which stat you want to raise, and there's another one that always just gives you HP increases. So, okay. the challenges that this guy has set out, if you complete the challenges by finding the secrets, the orbs, and nuggets, that's where you raise your AP. So, like, the meta challenge is the way to let you get more powerful in terms of like how much more spells and stuff you can cast. It's interesting the the kind of like the, the leveling dynamic they've given you in this game. So there's no real like concrete way to it. And then you have uh, all your equipment modifies just those things. So you can have like, you know, thieves shoes that will increase your, your um, agility but will reduce your attack. Or you can get really high armor that reduces your agility but increases your defense a lot or... I think right now I have like a wizard's cloak or something that gives me good magic, good fleeing, good defense, but lousy attack kind of thing. So you can, there's a lot of customizability, which I do like with the equipment and how you want to grow your characters using the, um, the orbs and such. So that's pretty neat. Like I've made one very focused on just doing a lot of special attack damage, whereas I think I made Carlton, he's going to be more um, agility and a straight up attack. Because the other thing that's interesting about this game and why it's, bizarre with the stat progression and stuff too is every single battle at the end of it you just get healed up so the game encourages you just go balls to the wall in every single encounter and some encounters are easier than others like some of them even just your regular mobs but there's still a challenge level to all of them because if you wait too long there's a little counter um i think that it's called phases and so the enemy enters a new phase and then all the enemies get more difficult so if you stretch out the battle too much it will get harder and harder for you. So mm. you're encouraged to, yeah, just unload on everything as fast as you can. And that's, I find, pretty standard. And so you get to some enemy parties that you can run into by accident that are or at random, rather, that are made up of, like, four or five enemies. Then you might start running the risk of, like, oh, gosh, okay, they're all starting, like, I can only kill one or two on the first turn, and these two other ones are starting to slowly beef up now. So it can get... Uh, definitely really dicey and then you get more of that strategy in the boss fight where you're trying to weigh how much of your ap to use should i use it to buff my other player so that way his attack is good when he runs out of ap should i buff my defense it did, it can get a nice little instrument of strategy in there from what you would expect from your classic turn base just whack them take some ether 
heal up. I mean, there are ethers, there are healing potions you can use, but again, they're finite. There's not a lot of them. But I found I didn't use them most of the time, but sometimes in the battle, you're definitely like, in the final, but like boss battles and stuff like that, you can find yourself needing that because as the enemy starts getting stronger, it, it does get, the hits get noticeably harder. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that ebb and flow. I think they maybe could have sped it up a bit to raise the stakes a bit, but ultimately it's a pretty neat game. And uh, yeah, I was surprised by how much I was enjoying it. So it, it, it it's cool that they're capturing those classic mechanics, but again, like turning them around a bit like Bravely does and such, right? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, you have a retro... In this episode, we had a like a solid retro game. We had a a game with some retro elements, but is a modern game. And then you had Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is a completely modern game, but used a a retro game as a foundation from it. Yeah, it's an interesting look at all the different approaches to what we're what we have for, I guess, capturing our nostalgia these days. Because as we've all said, the nostalgia glasses definitely add a certain element to how you look at things like Final Fantasy 7, 6, and Dragon Quest, any, any of those games, right? And, you know, going into the remake and seeing it now as you like, oh, it was totally just like that <laughs> back when it was, they were Popeye arms, right? Like, that's exactly how well this story all came <laughs> out in my mind. But it wasn't. Uh, but they've definitely done due diligence to their fans by doing that, whereas Bravely, I guess... It takes itself seriously, so it's not trying to really call out too many of the the RPG tropes and everything that it treads on, but it also is very reliant on its players to be okay with the simplicity, so to speak, of the world and the combat, that it isn't requiring big epic mechanics as to, um, compared to some of its uh, contemporaries at that time, right, which were pushing the envelope, this was going back to what made Final Fantasy simple and easy. And just easy to dive into in the first versions of it, right? So, and then you got, yeah, Pillars of Dust and other retro games like that that are just straight up very much begging you to forgive them for diving straight into your nostalgia. Mm. (laughs) Those retro ones are so hard to balance out, though, aren't they? Like, I find sometimes I love them and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wish they'd push the envelope a bit more and some. Like, there are some that are just literally like, oh, we love this game, so here is a literal version of it right? in our, in its own, in a different, like, set of clothes or something. And I'm just like, yeah, but you need the, you need something. You need some character or some warmth or some something else to, mm-hmm. you know, like you give could it argue, flavor. Sorry, you could argue that, like, Torchlight is more or less that, in a sense, right? Like, it was just like, we really liked Diablo, but we're just going to give it a fresh coat of paint. And this, their story was interesting enough to kind of separate it a bit, but more or less, if you never had it, you still had Diablo, right? Or if we never had gotten Diablo, Torchlight just would have been Torchlight. And yeah, some of them are very, yeah. very obvious copies, so to speak. Not really, but... I don't. I mean, I don't really know what the... Re- like, the original Torchlight, I don't know what the reception is, but I know Torchlight 2, people adore it, so I'm not oh, sure... Oh, it's great. Yeah, exactly. So maybe there was a jump there. I'm not as familiar, unfortunately. But I'm trying to think of like, um, I guess Tokyo RPG Factory are a bit guilty of this um, with their games. Um, Yeah, I have not gelled with any of their games, yet all of their games are literally like, you know, Chrono Trigger and something else. And Oninaki, their third attempt was something completely different and still fell flat. And it was like, you're not, they're just not capturing that thing that made something so great and 
yeah, it, it's sort of a hard balancing act to get right. I think with video games, it's it's tricky. I mean, most artists, and I, you know, people who make video games are artists. Uh, their mm-hmm. earliest attempts are pretty much literal copies of their heroes, their favorite things. That's where their their inspirations. But and it takes them a, a little while to figure out their own voice. And right. that's the trick with video games is because they're considerably more work than uh, most other art forms um, in terms of like budgeting and it takes a couple of years and beta testing, etc. So when somebody really hits it out of the park with their first game, it's even more astounding. And then there's those people and that you play a game. And you're like, that was cute. That, you know, kind of reminded me of that, but didn't really do much for me. Right. Yeah. It's Well, exactly. You can you can play it safe but I, yeah, you're exactly right like you need to practice right and it's easiest to do that by following something you love and trying to like maybe iterate on it slightly but still play it safe enough yeah it's what also draws an audience and i think with i mean with games it's so much different than you know when they um when there's a remake of a movie or or something along those lines where they're bringing back a tv show for a new um for a new generation because of how how games age uh because a movie from the late 80s um is much more accessible than a game from the late 80s because of the kind of interplay of technology and how new the medium of video games still is right Mm -hmm. because i mean you know this is something that just basically was i've heard it described as like cave paintings you know back in the late 70s and such and when you had pong and and now you have you have things that are you know sometimes quite literary sometimes they're kind of cinematic in a way and so it, it's so interesting how we look back at nostalgia for um games and just how some of them age like milk <laughs> sometimes <laughs> age like fine some, some, right I mean, we all want to go out and play E.T., right? Yeah, yeah, of course. We, we all want to go out to that New Mexico landfill. Um, I, found, I found this um, stunning um, ad from the late 90s, and I think it was in Nintendo Power. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was about Castlevania 64. And, and it was like, look at Castlevania 64. Look at these polygons. Look at... These three dimensions, and then look at the drab PlayStation. Look at the Symphony of the Night game. How old does that oh, look? God. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the exact ad you're talking about. Yes. And yeah, I look at it, and I'm like, I hate Castlevania '64 and Symphony of the Night is one of my favorite games ever. So and it's like, do. oh my god. That was the attitude back then. I remember it. It was yeah. why a side scroller and pixels. Blech, no. Yeah, it's. So it, it's it's always so interesting to see just what things have aged well and what things have kind of aged poorly. Um, I know with the the Grandia um, collection that came out, a lot of people were still lauding the um, they were still lauding the combat system, but then they were bemoaning the random encounters and just right. how frequent they were. And so it's always this kind of this kind of give and take. I think that we have. It's interesting. I mean, the way I look at video game history, at least in modern times from like the 80s to today, uh, like the Nintendo, the original NES and the Master System, they were they were more than cave paintings, but they were still very uh, 
very basic. And then the Super Nintendo and Genesis came along, and I would argue the Super Nintendo more than anything perfected or at least evolved the uh, pixel-based graphics and gameplay of these various genres yeah. to the to a point where a late-era SNES game is more than playable today. They're super, super fun. And then the Nintendo 64 and PlayStation came along, and uh, there's a reason why no one's making retro games that look like Final Fantasy VII. Right. Yeah. Mm. I know there was like a horror game that came out a few years ago that looked like Resident Evil 1, like PS1 Resident Evil 1. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah like it's so uncommon like it's all 8-bit or you know the fun like shovel knight the messenger 12-bit yeah. kind of visuals like the in-between like capturing that thing yeah the pixel art is kind of ageless in a way it is like, Bridge, like yeah. it's yeah it's the difference between even you can even see it in tv and film and such too like you can, you can go back and watch old episodes of you know, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and stuff like that. And it's a little janky and you can see, like, the style, whatever. But it's still watchable. It still flows. It still looks good. But you can you can go back and watch Reboot when it was new and there was the advent of 3D animation. And you can still, you can see, like, it's still fun to watch and everything. But you can see just how jagged and janky everything kind of is a bit more. It's just, it's so easy to, to let 2D just do its thing in age. Whereas, yeah, like you said, there's no one making a retro PS1 classic to make it look like you know those retro games when everyone didn't really know how to make it work there are but they're not really they're not really all that popular no Certainly exactly not to the level of pixel there's only there's only one that i can think of off the top of my head and that would be anodyne 2 which oh, was, yes, that's right. which which was building off of anodyne 1 which was you know that was pixel so it's it's kind of like they're making a lineage in some way that's like i think that's the only one that i can really think of that really is trying to evoke that ps1 um those sort of ps1 graphics and look yeah yeah i think they're trying to evoke some of the gameplay like but when i the graphics just don't really work anymore no, no. people just want full-on good 3d yeah somebody or not yeah they want a better camera is what they want like let's take um huh? <laughs> yeah like for example people wanted a new super mario 64 and they kind of got a, a version of that in had in time but it Hat in Time's a beautiful game with really nice, you know, well, des good designs, and it looks like a modern game. It plays very similar to Super Nintendo 64, but with modern touches. But I don't think that game would have worked remotely as well if they had, like, a, a actual 64-bit graphics mode, and that was it. But pixel-based games? Yeah, sign me up. It's probably part of it because, like, they, as, um, as was said, like, they evolved and kind of reached near their peak at that time. You know, since then, we've had... We've had 2D, you know, sprite-based and pixel games that um, that have gone kind of above and beyond it. Like mm. when you look at some like Owlboy, um, but it's those early PS1 games. There are a lot of things that look a lot better than you know Vagrant Story now. And at the time, that game seemed to have been revolutionary. Right, it can't um, get better than this. Yeah, the the old. Uh, the old thing of oh graphics will never look better than this and that's how you feel about that's how people felt about final fantasy 7 at the time and that's how a lot of us are probably feeling about remake now right? i mean you can just like right. loop that classic Le legend of zelda commercial wow look at those graphics for like every single generation <laughs> of game and where you're just <laughs> expecting it to never get better than that height pretty much mm -hmm. and i mean the funny thing is there is a hmm, i don't know what era you would say this I, I, when I wrote the Yakuza Remastered review, uh, I talked a lot about just how huge a jump Yakuza 
3 was from Yakuza 2, which was on PlayStation 2, and Yakuza 3 still looks like a modern-era game. And there was a jump where I feel like graphical fidelity uh, reached a point where those games are still playable today to pretty much anyone. They might say, oh, those textures are ugly, but it still looks like a modern game. And I would argue the PlayStation 3 era, do you guys think, is when that happened? Like where we kind of hit our plateau? I don't know, a plateau. I mean, we've gone higher since, but to the point where we, right. the point where we looked down the hill and went, holy shit. Oh. <laughs> 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 um, kind, kind of, you know, but a lot of the kind of PS3, 360 era, what, for, for me, what holds a lot of it back is the color palette and look of it, because yeah. so many games are trying to capture that, um, that Gears of War, you know, a lot of, a lot of very... Yes, the gritty realism, and and today it just looks kind of ugly. Yeah, let's throw a brown filter on everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that's why a game like Final Fantasy thirteen, for all its flaws, I think still looks pretty great today because they weren't afraid to play with color. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's why I was really disappointed, like, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning didn't oof. go further because, like, that whole yeah. thing. Because it, it was a really fun game, and it was like... The color palette was so vibrant and exciting when you compared it to its com- uh, contemporaries at the time. Like you're saying, Joe, like that everything was kind of going for that more gritty realism. They were still trying to keep that fun, visceral combat and everything like that. But their world was just very fantastical and bright and vibrant. Trying to, like I, I always had said back at the time, it was like um, kind of like Elder Scrolls and World of Warcraft had a child, and <laughs> it's kind of like what this game was with those bigger, chunkier, a bit more stylized kind of worlds and characters but also still very much grounded in its storytelling and its depth of scope and lore it was interesting but yeah like we could have used more of that and it also depends on the developer i mean joe you're completely right final fantasy 12 still not i'm not even talking about the remaster that got released last year i'm talking about like on the playstation 2 it still looks freaking amazing yeah i pushed that thing so hard oh my gosh gosh. yeah final fantasy 10 still looks freaking amazing and i think that's because it's well, it's square. Mm-hmm. And it's vibrant and exciting, right? Like, it, it didn't just try and muddy everything down into the realism. Because that's when I, I think when they're trying, when it gets too far away from the stylization, I think that's when it starts to not age properly. Mm. Like, that, you could, right. like, even Kingdom Hearts looks pretty solid on the PlayStation 2 still. Because the characters are so yeah. character, right? They're, everything's so so animated. And, and maybe that's why we do like our why we feel 2d ages right if we were looking back at too many 2d games where they basically just tried to do like a a very realistic 2d it would look pretty gross and probably not work out and you know like the 2d art of like wing commander for example like with those character portraits and stuff probably doesn't look as good now certainly the live action capture probably hasn't aged very well so <laughs> the, the fidelity oh, of it good right? old maverick so, I mean, blair right uh, it's yeah, I'm curious, and if any listeners have any thoughts on this stuff too, like the direction they prefer and where they feel like the we peaked or not, you know, so to speak, uh, I'd be this interested to hear because it's a really fascinating discovery uh, discussion. I really think Mark Hamill should just be in every game in some fashion. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. If only for his good energy. Yeah, I remember when everyone thought that he was going to be Don Corneo in the remake. He's not. <laughs> I was oh. like, please. Uh, what's his name? Fred. Uh, Fred, Fred Tasker. Yeah. yeah, who's who's still great, but yeah, he's still wonderful. But yeah, Mark Hamill. 
For a well, second, I thought you were going to say Fred Durst, and I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Jesus, no. <laughs> I just I just imagine, you know, the gang walk into Don Corneo's place and just, yo. <laughs> just, oh, my God. Welcome God. to my crib. Oh, no. Please, no. I don't want to think about this. That being said, speaking of rappers and Final Fantasy VII, if you haven't listened to Mega Rand's uh, Black Materia album, which is fantastic, oh, where yes. he kind of basically raps the Final Fantasy VII story, but his Don Corneo portrayal in that is ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous rap that he made up, especially when he's like, <laughs> I use a hula hoop to hold up my pants. Uh, oh, my gosh. His, his characterization is really funny in that he just he had a blast with it. And I was just like, I'd take that as a, as a Don Corneo. I'm in. Before we close out, uh, because uh, it's pretty topical, we got a, a really nice email from Jeremy Arthur, who uh, I haven't chatted with for a while. He was asking us about stuff back when we talked about Fire Emblem a bit on one episode, way back with Nathan and such. Um, anyways, he was just giving us some great feedback and his love of Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler, which is apparently in his top 10 of... Uh, RPGs, so it's pretty high praise, which, I don't know, it seems pretty par for the course. I don't know, it is, is one of, I mean, Rob uh, used to talk about a lot on the uh, podcast about the whole revisionist history where a game comes out real hot, but then several years down the line, people start looking back and they're not as keen on it, and I feel like that might be happening to Octopath, where everyone was super high on it when it came out for a good hot second, and then now people are kind of going like, well, it has its flaws. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I think it was pretty mixed when it came out. I think people... I'm one of the people who really loved it, but I know a lot of people went in expecting Final Fantasy VI and they didn't they get it. They ended up with a saga and game, basically. Ex- exactly. That's And fortunately, I went in with that um, look. I thought I was expecting a saga game and I kind of got it. Um, Yay. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure Octopath actually... Like, it's got its sect, and I think maybe now, a little bit, some people are like, mm, yeah, it's okay. Like, I'm like, I don't know whether I'd replay it necessarily now, but I do still really love the time I had with it. Um, If you're thinking about things, I don't know whether I've, I've had, I've definitely had that moment where I've liked a game a lot, and then looked back and gone, mm, actually, no, it's definitely of its time, but. <laughs> I can't think of a specific example right now. Um, I mean, I think the one that uh, Rob kept bringing up a lot, I think, was Skyward Sword, I want to say. Yes. Oh, God, yeah, that that's such an obvious one, one isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not the right person to ask about Zelda, so... Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of games from around that sort of late PS3 and Xbox 360 mm-hmm. uh, timeline have been coming up in that discussion in terms of and maybe that's just because of the time we're in right now but you know skyward sword and skyrim has been getting you know a bit of flack as well um fallout 3 um and the one that i've been thinking about a lot is bioshock infinite um yes in in terms of that game when i talk about a game aging like milk uh i haven't put hands on it in a couple of years but now i'm um, hesitant to play it i've oh it well it's not it's not an RPG so won't won't go too much into it but uh it the story really really hits rock bottom by the end in terms of being like you know this uh this white supremacist slaver i think he's like the same as MLK like <laughs> that's kind of the thesis that they come to at the end at least infinite <laughs> breaks my heart because it's it's the you look at all the you look at everything that came up came up to it like the trailers and the gameplay footage and everything and it just you look at the game it could have been and then you look at the game we got which you know for its time was fine and i agree with you it hasn't aged certainly hasn't aged as well as the original bioshock no 
I mean, I guess it all comes down to um, what is my essentially my general approach to roommate situations or coworker situations. There's always somebody that's the worst at work. Then that person quits or gets fired or leaves. And then somebody else becomes the worst person at work. You just didn't notice they were the worst person because the other person was worse. So with video <laughs> games, it was the best thing we had at the time, and we think it was great. But until we start seeing something else that's better, we don't know that thing's actually not as good as it, we thought it was. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> and if you wonder why there's no longer a worse person at work, guess what? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or we all there's got a... laid off. <laughs> no one's at work right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this makes me think of something that's kind of the opposite, um, and I guess Zelda kind of suffers from it as well, because I know there's a good chunk of the Zelda fandom that think that Breath of the Wild is the worst Zelda game. Um, I've got news for you guys, it's not. Um, oh but um, I Pokemon is another series oh, that yeah. whenever a new game comes out, the newest game in the series is the worst, and then whatever game they previously disliked now is like oh my god this was so good so there's like the opposite as well like black and white had this huge renaissance and i was mm. like hang on a minute yes. where were you in 2011 when the game was good <laughs> like it's always been really good where have you been right and i'm, but, I'm sure there's yeah. many people that feel the same as you do but yeah it's, it's weird how divisive opinions are it's interesting i mean doctor who has that exact same thing the best doctor is the doctor before the one we currently have <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely to, right mm-hmm but, uh, yeah, um, that's one of the things, though, that Jeremy does mention in here regarding Octopath and stuff like that and how, like, Alana was basically saying exactly what he's getting at, that if you walked into it expecting it to be something it wasn't, you were bound to be disappointed. But he was saying, like, all the marketing materials said it was going to be what it was, so he didn't understand why people were criticizing it for not being something it was when it's like, this is what Square Enix advertised it as. At any rate. Uh, clearly, uh, Jeremy is a fan of the Octopath Traveler and will uh, die on that hill, and I appreciate him. I think he's for a. That. I hey, I, I think he's a smart man. I think that's probably where they're going right? in the future. I would argue, Bravely Default is going to be their Final Fantasy, and uh, Octopath Traveler is going to be their uh, saga. Yeah, just rebranding, so to speak, and trying it with some new stout twists. Their takes. Um, yeah, exactly. But he was also uh, he was enjoying our talk of Bravely Default as well, and he was uh, he played the Bravely Default two demo as well. And, uh, yeah, he thinks it needs some work. Um, one thing he had mentioned that there was a, there was no like turn indicator during combat. And that's mm-hmm. one thing now that he brings up, I'm like, oh yeah, that would have been helpful to help you figure out how to, when to use your brave and defaults for the strategy. So I'm hoping that's something that comes in. They did really say, um, they being Square Enix had a, um, a survey that came out after the game. I've, I've been getting a lot of those ones. It's kind of interesting that you get these game surveys now to get that direct feedback, which is great. That's probably the reason why 14 has succeeded, right? Yeah, they did the exact same thing with Octopath Traveler. Oh, well, there you go. They so, did, yeah. So it's good that they want to listen. So that was something he put in there as well. So maybe they'll listen and put that in. But uh, otherwise, it's um, it's shaping up to be good. And yeah, he, he does think the, um, the in-combat dialogue outstays his welcome. Uh, I didn't notice <laughs> it, but... Um, but I do notice they do say things a lot, and it gets repetitive. I remember that back in, like, yeah. Baldur's Gate, where you could adjust the frequency of how often they would say things, because it would get to be a lot. And when, given how small games were back then, they only had so many phrases. So it got very repetitive very quick. And it's a shame when you get a game where they don't let you modify that. Because <laughs> I, can I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've had some RPGs in the past that I've played, like, even JRPGs, where they, they are always saying their comments, their catchphrases, and it's just like, oh my gosh, just stop. And I can't turn it off. Jeremy, if you uh, 
If you have any thoughts about Bravely Second and you're listening to this episode, send them to us because uh, I'm playing it right now, so I'll probably be talking about it in the next episode, and I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, because you're saying uh, not to go too far into it because we're going to wrap things up. Yeah. But just yeah, It's not landing as, as solidly as uh, Bravely Default did. Not quite, but it's still, gotcha. still good, but it's... Uh... There you go. Well, as Jeremy has done... All of you can reach us at podcast at rpgfan.com if you want to email us all the things. You can hit me up directly if you want at Greg D at I can't remember my own email address. Greg D at rpgfan.com. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Greg Delmage. And um, G Delme on our Discord. Jono, where can people find you? Uh, you can send me some email at jlogan at rpgfan.com or you can find me on Twitter at Jono Logan. Alana, how about you? Uh, you can email me at alanah at rpgfan.com or Twitter again. My uh, my handle is Alana Hagues. And Joe Padilla. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at uh, EVA underscore least. And as always, uh, Joe is one of our social media folks. Uh, they have great insights that they offer on the uh, social media page for RPG Fan, which, uh, Joe, tell us, where is all of our social media? You can find all of our social media on Facebook with RPG Fan. You can find us on Twitter as at RPG Fancom. Uh, and you can find us on Instagram as RPG Fan. And you can get all those hot takes whenever Joe's playing games, Max playing games, Tim's <laughs> playing games. They're all pretty good about sharing. But I think, I feel like Joe, you kind of were starting that trend, which I really like. So we get some of those, those Joe thoughts. <laughs> That devolve, Why, thank you. evolve, not devolve, evolve into um, features. Oh, they both evolve and devolve. <laughs> no, no, never devolve. But yeah, thank you so much for being on. If you want to keep listening to Random Encounter, there's lots of episodes you can go to. We have Retro Encounter, plenty of episodes of that to listen to. The Soul Blazer episode just came out that I was on, and that was a blast. Uh, playing Soul Blazer again was super fun. So go check out our game journal of that. Where. Uh, all the game journals can be found with Retro. We still have Rhythm Encounter episodes kicking around, so if you want to go listen to the music, it sounds like people still want more of that, though. It's like we could do an entire podcast on it with our uh, Love of the Final Fantasy VII remake soundtrack. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, we have Hat and Eric, who have the Phoenix Edge podcast, and you can go check them out with uh, a lot more relevant discussion on current news and events in the gaming industry, RPGs specifically. Otherwise... Jano, Alana, Joe, thank you so much for being on. As always, a pleasure. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. You're all really lovely folks that uh, we're, we're kind of gifted at this website that there's, there's no bad eggs. We're all nice people to work with. <laughs> I like it. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for keeping us going, keeping on listening. Uh, for myself and all these wonderful folks about me, uh, thank you so much. Have a good one. <laughs>